Uh, we're in part two of a series. It's called I Love My Church. It's a series about the church. And uh, I've, hopefully last week, if you missed it, go back and catch up. It's really important that you do that. Uh, we're going to be doing this series for the whole month. And really, it's a, it's a setup for why we even started the Grove in the first place. All right. So we're, we're building up to July. Our plan was to go to the theater in July, July 1st, to kick off our, our first uh, services back there. Uh, but it turns out that Regal and uh, the people that own the property are now like in going through all that process, right, legal stuff. And so uh, right now Regal is locked out of that place until they can resolve that. And so there's a chance that we will be or will not be meeting in July or maybe pushing it forward. And so um, just um, I've been trying my best to try to communicate with them, keep the lines open and figure out that next steps. But right now we'll continue here at the Grove Central. Until then, I just want to update you on that. So we're we got permission from Regal to start in July, but Regal has not got permission from the owners to, to start again their movies, so it's got to work that way, right? So uh, we're just waiting for that to happen. But anyways, so this series, really, about the church. We love the church. We are part of the church. We are the little C church that's a part of the big C church. Does that make sense? So we're not the only church. We're one of many churches, and so this series is about that. What does it mean? What is, what is a, what is, why does a church even exist? And a lot of people have different ideas about the church depending on how you grew up. And depending on what when I ask, when you ask people, like, what does church mean to you? Typically, it's a building. Typically, it's that you go to a specific place on a specific day um, to endure a really long service. That's like, you grew up in some of those, you know, you know what I'm talking about. But here's what the church is. Last week, I said this. The church, it's a community of people who follow the teaching. So notice community of people has nothing to do with the building. All the buildings can help. It's not, that's not the purpose. It's a community of people who follow teachings of Jesus, who was sent from God to explain God and clear the path to God. So we believe Jesus came to earth as God, as a son of God, to teach us about God and to give us a way back to God, to restore things and put things back to right because they were broken from, from sin that entered the world through Adam and Eve and then throughout sin throughout human history. And still still prevalent and it still happens where it breaks relationships between people and God. And so we as a church, we are just a community of people. So it has nothing to do with the building. It has everything to do with a group of people. And here's, here's the, the verse we'll use for this whole series found in Matthew 16. Um, verse 18, he just says this, I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell, the Hades, will not overcome it. So last week, if you missed it, I really did a lot of work here. But essentially, Jesus was saying the rock is not Peter. Peter is a rock, but he's not the rock. Uh, the statement he makes about Jesus being Messiah is the rock that God will build his church. So essentially, Peter even says in another letter that Jesus is the cornerstone or the foundation of the church, and the rest of us are living stones. Like we are not – the church is not a building. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a group of people. And so we said last week when, when Jesus said, uh, on this rock I'll build my church, we get this word church. And it's – our Bibles, this is the one place that we missed it when it comes to translation because the word that we use for church is not a translation. It's a substitution. We used a, a German word rather than the original Greek and the German word is church, which means the house of the Lord, which confuses us because now we think, well, a building is where the house of the Lord. And then we sing songs like we just sang, right, which there's a different application to that, right? So it's, it's, this is the house of miracles. But here's the thing. If, if, if the church is not a building but people that make up the body or the, or the church, then we are the house. Us together, when we come together, we make the, church, we make the, the community of, of God. So the word uh, ecclesia is the actual Greek word that they should have used. That's the word Jesus used. But instead of ecclesia, which means a gathering or an assembly or a congregation, a group of people, they actually put the word church, which is a, a building. But here's a problem. A church, right, is a location. An ecclesia is a purposeful gathering of people. So you can have church, right? But Jesus says that if there are two or three of you gather in, in, in my name under my purpose, like I'm there in the middle, I'm in the, there in the middle of you, the presence with you. 
So essentially he's saying, if you want to know what the church is like, it's, it's, it's a few people getting together in the, with the purpose of, of acknowledging that I'm there. That's a church. So you can have church in a park. You can have church in a house. You can have church at a coffee shop. You can have a church anywhere. Church is not a location. Unfortunately, because of our translation or because of the substitution they made, we tend to think that church is a location, a building, and it's not. It's a people. It's a group. So the difference is you can, you can lock the doors of a church. You cannot lock the doors of the Ecclesia of Jesus. They're everywhere, all the time, every, moving, right? It's, it's a movement. So it's a purposeful gathering of people getting together. And this is not a religious term. It was a very common term they would use for people to get together. So school assembly, right? They would have said, we have an, an ecclesia today at school. And they would gather together for a purpose to talk about something, right? So he's saying, my people, I'm going to build my church on this, on this foundation of Jesus being the Messiah. I'll build my church. So last week we talked about where, where church history got it wrong. And, and the reason we're doing that is because if we don't study where we got it wrong as, as Christians and as, as the church when it got it wrong throughout history, we have a, the tendency to repeat and do the same things that they did without even meaning to sometimes. And we don't want to do that. So for this series, we're kind of going backwards before we go forward. All right. And so um, today I want to talk more about, a little more about church history. But within, within a short period of time, after Jesus dies on the cross, comes back to life, he spends 40 days with his disciples, um, teaching them and training them. And then he goes, he, he goes up to heaven, and his last words are, go into the whole world and make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? Go and teach them and make disciples. And he leaves, and he says, wait for the Holy Spirit. He'll come. So then they go for 10 days. They wait in the upper room, and then Pentecost happens. They receive power from, from, from God, from the Holy Spirit. Peter gets up and, and preaches this message to the people that are gathered around, thinking they're all crazy. And he says, hey, Jesus died. Let me tell you how you can be right with God. 3,000 men give their life to Christ that day and get baptized. The church begins. It kind of just doesn't mean it explodes. And then it begins to go everywhere around the world very shortly after that. And the reason it goes everywhere is because they begin to get persecuted for what they believe. In fact, one of the stories in Acts that we find, it's pretty early in the story, it says that Peter and the, and the apostles, they, they, the other disciples, they get um, um, they get uh, arrested, and, and the religious of the people today arrest them, and they say, you cannot be teaching Jesus. And so they have them stand before the Sanhedrin, before a court, a uh, religious court, and they, they say this. So Peter and the apostles, uh, they, they tell him, you cannot, you cannot preach the name of Jesus. And he says, we must obey God rather than human beings. So our allegiance is to God, not to human beings. And the reason the people were not wanting him to is because they were threatening the temple model. They, they were threatening the way the religious system of that day is one of the reasons they didn't like Jesus because they wanted to control, and Jesus was actually giving them less control as religious leaders and giving more control, more power to the people, right, to be able to understand that they don't need a person to lord over them. They can go directly to God. And so they were, they were threatening the religious leaders because they were taking away their authority. And so Peter says, well, we can't stop because we, we're, we're supposed to obey God, not just people. And, he, and then he goes on and says, the God of our ancestors He's talking to Jewish people. So he's telling the religious leaders of his day, hey, the God of our ancestors, he raised Jesus from the dead. You know, the one you killed by hanging him on the cross, right? He says that, that person, he raised from the dead. And not just that, um, he exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior. That, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness of their sins. He tells them the purpose. Jesus died on the cross so that people can have, they, they, can, they can lead them to repentance, go in, the, go in the right direction, not the wrong direction, and have right standing with God. This is the purpose, right? And at this time, he's talking about Israel because they didn't understand that the whole gospel was for everybody. They thought it was just for the Jewish people. And so it took about 10 to 20 years. 10 years after Jesus dies, Peter finally gets it. Like, oh, it's for the Gentiles also. And another 20 years for finally the church to be able to spread the message that it's not just for Jewish people, but it's for Gentiles also. 
and the, the, the message goes everywhere. But he says um, he came, right, so we can have forgiveness of our sins and be able to go in the right direction. And he says, we are witnesses of these things. So then he says, hey, these guys standing in front of you, people, we saw him. We saw the miracles. We saw him die on that cross brutally. And then we put him in the grave. And three days later, he was not there. He came back to life. And then he came to visit and teach us and talk with us. And the reason we can stand before you with so much confidence is because we've witnessed the power of God firsthand. And you can't stop what he's about to do. And so he says, then the Holy Spirit also, who's given us to those who obey him. And then it says, when they heard this, the religious people, the Sanhedrin, they were furious and wanted to put him, put them to death. So what would cause somebody so much frustration and anger that they would want to kill them? Have you ever been in a position like that where you were so frustrated with somebody you wanted to kill them? They were. I don't know if you, hopefully you haven't. Somebody said yes. Somebody said yes. I think over here. Hopefully not. So they were so, they were so frustrated with them that they wanted to kill them. Why? Because they were threatening their power, their control. But there was a wise man, and there's always a wise man in the room, right? Isn't that so great? God always puts somebody with a voice. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was, just side note, this was Paul's rabbi, his teacher, right? So the apostle Paul, who was Saul before, he was under Gamaliel. He was a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, so very respected, one of the best teachers of that, of that day. He stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Okay, let's get these guys out. Let's have a little conversation, all right? And so then Gamaliel goes on and says, he addressed the Sanhedrin, he says, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, Thaddeus, he appeared claiming to be somebody about, claiming to be somebody, or he should have said like, he's claiming to be Messiah, right? Somebody to rise up to free us from the Roman occupation. And about 400 men, they rallied to him. He was killed and his followers were dispersed and all that came to nothing. After him, Judas of Gal- the Galilean, he appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and his followers were scattered. He says, therefore, in, the presence, in, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purposes or activity is, is human origin, it's going to fail. If it's just a human idea, it's going to eventually stop. It's going to go away. No issue. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop it. You'll not be able to stop these men, and you will only find yourselves fighting against God. And so in wisdom, he says, all right, guys, um, we've seen in the past. So if it's men, they raise up, they go down, life goes on. And in this case, he says, if it is God, you're not going to be able to stop them, and you're actually going to be fighting against God. His speech persuaded them, and they called the apostles in, and they had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and, he, and then they let them go. So they said, okay, we agree. But we're going to give them a little beating before. And they either with whips or with some rods, they beat them and they let them go. And the next verse says that the apostles left the Sanhedrin. They were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name, for Jesus. And then day after day, they would meet in the temple courts from house to house. They never stopped teaching or proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So they kept, they kept going on. They, it didn't stop them, right? And, and this is the, the prophecy that Jesus gave. He says, the gates of hell will not be able to stop it. There'll be no, nothing is going to be able to stop my group of people, my ecclesia, the, my gathering of people to, to be able to take my message to the ends of the world. Everybody's going to have a chance to be able to hear this. So why do the religious people, why are they so opposed to this? Because they threatened something that had been going on for a long time. We can call this the temple model, right? It's not just with, the, with, the, with um, Judaism. This is in all the other different religions, right? So the temple model typically has a sacred place. There's always a sacred place involved, right? Some holy ground, some holy place. There's always sacred texts, some message, some letter, some, some vision, right, that somebody had. Sacred men, it's always men, 
uh, who control, right? So there's a group of men who control these things, and then there's always sincere followers or um, people, followers who kind of – you can even substitute sometimes stupid followers, right? They just go with the flow. They don't know what's going on. But the temple model, uh, this could be found in, in rural areas where there's medicine doctors. It could found, be found in big cities throughout history where there's different kind of temples, different kind of worship, right? So this is the temple model. It, there's always a special place that they, they consider holy. It, it's the template, it's, it's, I guess you could say, for religion, right? It's, it's these people – they, they control these things, and they stand at the gate of heaven and hell, and they, they, they become the, 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 the judge who says, you go to heaven, you go to hell. You do these things, you're good. You do these things, you're bad. And they stand at the gate of those, and they begin to do this. So religion is about this. When, when, when I talk to people about church or, or Christianity, a lot of times when people that have abandoned, there's a really big group, growing group of people in, in the United States right now called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Essentially, they just say, we believe in God. We just don't affiliate. They have no affiliation with anybody, any kind of religious group, right? They just said, we're just kind of done with that. And a lot of times, they, they abandon religion because of this. Not because of Jesus, not because of the teachings, what he said. Because what he said was great news, right? Jesus was launching something brand new. It wasn't Temple 2.0. It was actually something completely different. He was trying to, to, to show that, that, that the Old Testament was a setup for what he was going to do with his life. But essentially, a lot of people leave because of... They, they walk away from religion, from God, because of these things, not because of what Jesus said a lot of times. They, they, don't, they don't understand the difference. So um, Paul says this, when it comes to the temple, right? It used to be you went to a temple to sacrifice. But Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, don't you know that your bodies are a what? Temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. So if, if God is in you, you know, um, whom you have received from God, if he's in you, then you are now a temple, so essentially Paul is saying the temple is not a place you go to. The temple is a person who has the living God dwelling within them. That, that, that's the temple. So essentially he's saying Jesus came to make us all portable temples. Those who submit, those who uh, surrender their lives to Christ become a living temple for God. It's the same idea Peter talked about, right? He, Jesus said, I'm going to build my, my, my church upon this rock. It's on this foundation of Jesus. And he says, we're living stones. You and I make up the temple. So when we get together. It's not this building that's special. It's the fact that we're together to sing songs, uh, to, to say, God, you're God. To start a week off by saying, God, we want to invite you to help us in this, in this day. This is why when we're, either whether we're at the theater or at the Grove Central, church is still church. Because it has nothing to do with the building. It has everything to do with the people in it. And this is where people get mistaken from uh, religion and relationship. They think, well, I have to go somewhere special to be, to be holy. I have to go to these read these specific things to be considered right with other with, with God or with others. And what happens is we, we tend to treat a, a, a place as something sacred, and we don't realize that the sacredness is actually is the potentials within each one of us. So the person next to you, they are sacred in the eyes of God because they have the potential to be a temple as well. They can be portable temple for God. And the other person there, it's, it's us learning to put those others ahead of ourselves, right? It's, it's us saying, I recognize the potential in you that you have sacredness because god made you in the image of him and you could potentially could become somebody who carries with you the presence of god everywhere you go so jesus he had this um he had this the disciples were walking through jerusalem and they, they were talking about the temple how how great it was how big it was how awesome it was and jesus has this this prophecy this prediction he says hey guys i know this is pretty nice but one day there's not going to be a single stone left on top of it in this temple 
And the religious people got mad, and he said this, like, what are you talking about? Like, like what, who do you think you are? You know, what, what, are you ta- what are you saying? It's going to be destroyed? It's God's temple. It's God's house. It's never going to be destroyed. Well, it turns out, 40 years after Jesus made this statement, Rome comes in and conquers Jerusalem and tears down the temple completely. And to make sure it's not rebuilt again, they drag away all the stones. And literally in AD 70, August 6, precisely, August 6, AD 70, uh, the temple is destroyed, and they, they take those stones miles and miles away so they're not tempted to bring it back and rebuild it. And at this point, from this point on, the temple model is no more. Um, and Jesus predicted this. He said this. And part of the reason is because he's saying there's something here that's better, that's, that's greater than Moses, greater than the temple. It's me. It's my life. It's what I'm doing here and now. And he creates something new. In fact, he makes a statement. He says, I'm not, I've not come to abolish the law, right? I've come to fulfill the law. It's not that I'm, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm, I'm destroying that. It's just I'm coming to fulfill what's been spoken there. And he says, I've come to do something more. And in fact, he says, if you want to know what God is trying to do, it's very simple. Right? So in the, I guess part of the confusing part is we have this, this book. This, it's, it's a book of books. right? It's a gift that God gave us. But the Bible essentially is broken up in two major sections. right? So we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And even those are, I think the words we use sometimes, they, they, they cause us to think of something in, in a different way than we should have. So uh, Testament, it's, it's actually a, a Latin word. right? It's not, it's not found in the Greek. It's not. You can't find that. A better, a better way to say this is, is the Old Testament. You can actually call it the Hebrew Bible, and the New Testament is the Christian Bible. So we have essentially, essentially two Bibles within one Bible, the Old right, or the Hebrew Bible that talks about the history of Israel and, and God's covenant with them, and then the New, which is God's new covenant with, with everybody through Jesus Christ. And, and for us as, as Jesus followers, this is the part that we're bound to. This is the part that we have to say, okay, he's asking us to do really just one thing. To love other people. He broke it down. He says, it's, it's very simple. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. And in that, he's saying, if you love others, it demonstrates your love for God. But if you say you love God, you don't love others, it actually demonstrates you don't love God at all. You don't even get it. You're missing the whole point. But what happens is we take the old, and we kind of, we, we don't really know how to separate or understand what part belongs to the Jewish people and what part belongs to the Jesus followers, and we, we intermingle that. And I'm going to talk about that, why that happens, all right? And in these, when we look at it, it just brings a little bit of a misunderstanding of how we can understand what it is we're supposed to be doing. So um, Jesus' message changed everything. The disciples changed everything. He got rid of the temple model. He got rid of the old way of doing things, that you had to go to a special place, right? And now it's, it, you can go directly to God anywhere you're at, anytime. He's available. His presence is open to you at any moment that you want to. So I talked about Constantine, the emperor, who legalized Christianity last week, right? Well, I read more about his story, and I found out that on October 12th of 312, he actually had a vision. He was going to, to a battle, and he had a vision. They believe, some people believe it was from God that says you should conquer in the, under this sign, right, this symbol. And it, was, it was the cross that he saw. And so he began to take the cross and paint it on every, every, his, his shield and armor and all that stuff. But on October 12th, uh, from here on, this is where he began to have this conversion time of saying, okay, uh, maybe Jesus is, has more to do with, with, with than I thought. And for 300 years up to this point, Christians were persecuted. It's what caused the church to spread around the whole world because a lot of them went to take other messages to other places. Some, some went to other places to, to hide. They, they hit their families would be killed. They could start um, the gospel, share the gospel in areas. And they began to spread around the whole world. So for 300 years, the church was being persecuted and killed for believing what they believed. And for 300 years, they were known by, and this you can even write, read, read historical documents of people who, they just couldn't figure out what was up with those people called Christians. They were different. 
They loved people that were nothing like them. They took care of people that were nothing like them. They even began to rescue kids who were left on this, left in these different like, like dump areas to die through, from exposure. They would go and take those kids and bring them to their home. And people were like, why would they even do that, right? So they, they didn't understand what was up with these people called Christian. All they knew is they loved people. They loved the people that were like them. They loved people that weren't like them. That They loved even their enemies, and they prayed for their enemies. And so from this point on, the church began to change from being a persecuted church that was being spread around the world to now, like we talked about last week, it, it, it was, it was um, now sanctioned as the, as the state religion. So Constantine said now the Christian church is the religion of the, of the, of the empire. And so really this is where the, home, the, the a few years later the Holy Roman Empire would start. We talked about this last, a little bit last week. But here's the problem is they, were, they weren't so much holy. They were very Roman and they were very much an empire, domination. And Rome was probably their first thing. So the, the emperor was more emperor than he was holy. And the Rome, Holy Roman Empire was more Roman than it was holy. They removed this part. Holy is set apart. Holy is different, right? This is all about power and control. This is not. So during this time, as Constantine begins to sanction, he began to pour a lot of money into the Christian church. So they began to build buildings. And now it became popular to be a Christian. So now it wasn't you became a Christian because um, you really believed it to the point of not being afraid of dying to now being popular. That if you weren't a Christian, you're on the outskirts. Like, what? You're not a Christian? You, you're missing it, right? This is who we – Romans are Christians now. We're, we're, it, you can't separate the two. And it became, it became a, a very powerful tool or weapon – that they begin to use against people who, who thought differently and, and believed differently. And so we get the, the Holy Roman Empire. Well, after a little time, now you have Christians who begin to have different ideas. So they had this, I'll tell you, there's a, one, there's a point to it, because you'll see it, it translates into the future also. But there was this controversy called the Arian Controversy. It's one that you probably had yourself at some point, right? Maybe not. You wake up in the morning thinking, was Jesus son of God like when he was born, or did he become like God after so much time? Well, there's a man named Arian. And the, the whole country is over this word begotten that we find in the scriptures, in the, in the Bible. And the, the, the question was, did Jesus become God one day, or was he born as God? And, and so one church leader, Arian, he said, no, he, was, he wasn't divine when he was born. He was, he was given that as an adult because he has faithfulness to God. And another man, uh, Athanasius, um, he believed that he was born as, as, from, from the virgin birth, that he was born as, as a son of God, fully human, fully God. So Athanasius was the first one to get to Constantine. Constantine wasn't a, wasn't a theologian, and so he believed Athanasius, and that, that became um, which the apostles that was what the apostles would have teached also. There's an apostles' creed that talks about this, and then they they got this this uh, group of people together that was called the the Nicene Council, and they made this Nicene Creed that talks about our belief as as, as Christians. And so um, so Arian lost this this battle, and because uh, Constantine was was the powerful one, he said. We cannot have differing ideas. And so he made this edict. This is what Constantine said after, they, after this controversy. He says, I hereby make a public order that if someone should be discovered to have hidden a writing composed by Arius and not to have immediately brought it forward and destroyed it by fire, his penalty shall be death. So now if somebody believes something differently, now they're going to be – Put to death. So this is the first time that they made a theological div- division as heresy that was punishable by death. So if you believed the wrong thing, it was now a crime. And 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 here's the problem though: is, is Constantine, right? We already said this. He was more emperor than he was holy, and so he did a lot of evil things. All the emperors did. There was a lot of bad behavior with them. And and somehow what happened is 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 what happened in, in this is this era, era was belief became more important than behavior. 
What you knew and what you believed was more important than how you acted. And so they began to make these creeds, like the Nicene Creed. And so the, the creed, they're good creeds because they talk about our belief and our doctrines, right, how, how, what we should believe. The problem is there's no mention of love and how we should act in these creeds. None of them are about action. It's all about knowledge and belief. And the problem with that is now as religion, you can use belief to trump everything else. Well, I believe it, so then I must be right. But you're not living it. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. And because the emperor had to sign off on these creeds, they had to make him very politically correct in, in a way that it would be easy to say, oh, yeah, I believe those things. That's good. I believe that. I believe that. But because they had bad behavior, they were excused to have that bad behavior because there was nothing about love and nothing about behavior in those creeds. So at this time, prayer, Christians now became known for arresting other Christians for believing something different to the point of death, that they now would be killed. So now they weren't being killed from outside. They're now being killed from within the same belief system within, within Christendom, within Christianity. So here's the, here's the problem. And this is the thing that bothered Jesus so much about the religious people of his day is they would say something, but they would live something different. He called it hypocrisy. That you, you put on a mask and you put, make, you put your best foot forward, like an Instagram, you show everybody your highlight reel, right? But in the, in the reality, you're not that, it's not completely true. And the problem is there wasn't, there's not congruence between the two, what you say and what you do. And this idea of congruence is so important because uh, congruence is like it's two equal parts, right? What you're saying and what you're doing, they line up. Who you are in public is the same as who you are in private. And Jesus was trying to get the religious people to see that, like you're somebody in public, but you're not that same person in private. You hold knowledge as a, as a weapon, but you're not willing to lift a finger to help those people that you, that you hold this power over for. It's not authentic. It's religion. And here's the thing. Knowing cannot ever outweigh doing. When it does, you're religious, and you're doing the exact thing that Jesus came to preach against. So when you, what you believe is not congruent with how you behave, it's not authentic, and you're missing the whole point of it. And this is where we get this another version of the temple model inserted into Christianity. And so the thing that Jesus was trying to pull us away from now began to be, be um, infected within the church. This is where he says a little bit of yeast works itself into the whole, the whole dough, right? A little bit of the Pharisees' teaching. If you're not careful, it'll, it'll leak itself in, and it becomes something different than what I'm trying to accomplish. And this is what happened with, with, the, with, with the early church. For 300 years, they were known by their love for each other. For the next 12, 1,200 years, they'll be known by control and power, and it became another temple model. It was sacred men who became the gatekeeper of somebody's eternity, right? So it became another version of temple, temple, temple order. Sacred men became the gate, gatekeeper of heaven and hell. And, and um, this, this new temple model, right, it's a, it's a Christian version of the temple model, but it's, it's, it's two things that are, aren't supposed to be together. So they would use – the priest would, would, would use things like withholding communion from people or withholding baptism or the threat of excommunication. So the pope and the bishops and the archbishops and the priests, um, the, the people feared them because they had all this power all of a sudden. And then in the 11th century, Pope Urban II, he launches what we know as the Crusades, the First Crusade, to go to the Holy Lands and conquer it in the name of Christianity, in the name of Christ. And, and this is how he did it. He, he, he offered forgiveness of people's sins if they will go and conquer in the name of Christ. So essentially, he said, you can go and kill people in the name of Christ, and you'll be forgiven of all that stuff. Of all your past sins, you'll be forgiven. And so they began to march to Jerusalem, all these different crusaders. And on the way, they began to pillage and rape and kill people along the way. And they said, hey, since we're doing this for the church, why don't we kill the, the original people who actually crucified Jesus, all those Jewish people? And we see anti-Semitism go to a whole new level 
of now they're killing the Jewish people along the way and taking their land, taking all their, their resources. So when people say, you know, I don't know if I like the church, I don't know if I like Christianity, really what they're talking about is that era of time where we have a really bad reputation in the world because somebody at the top used their power to control others through the, with the threat of withholding something that they had no right to withhold. And so for, for about 1,200 years, we, we weren't really a very good example to the world. We were known as what we, by our beliefs and bad behavior, not by our love for one another. So the good news is about 1517, we talked a little about this last, year, last week with, with William Tyndale. We call them the reformers, right? There's a group of people that were raising up, these men that were raising up who were pastors and, and priests, and, and they begin to see something. Specifically, there's a man named Martin Luther. He was German. He didn't want to abandon the church. He, he, he loved the gospel. He, he, he was a, a Greek, uh, go back one for me. He was a Greek theologian. And so he understood when he was reading, um, he, he was reading the scriptures and the gospels, he was seeing things in there that didn't line up with what the, the, the religious people of the day were saying. So he couldn't find indulgences. He's like, wait, wait, where in the gospels are you finding that we can give, that people can give us money and we can let them do bad things? Like, that's not in scripture. And then he began to realize that a lot of things they were teaching weren't in there. And so he wanted to reform it. Well, those in the church, the, the religious leaders, they, thought, they, they, they thought, thought of this as a protest. Like, he's against us. So it didn't become a reform. It became a protest. So we get the word Protestant or Protestantism. It was a protest against the Holy Roman Catholic Church, right? So he began to con- condemn indulgences. He, he saw something different in the scriptures than what they were saying. So Martin Luther was excommunicated. But you know what? He didn't care because he understood as you read the Gospels, a person doesn't have that power over me. Only God has that power to condemn me to hell or to heaven. Only he does, not some person, not a pope, not a priest. And so he, didn't, he, didn't, he, he kept on teaching what he was teaching. And then he became an outlaw, and they wanted to kill him. All the reformers, they wanted to kill all of them. Well, some, out, of, out of these different reformers that, that were beginning to rise up, there's these different phrases they began to, to come out. One was, was solo fide, which means faith alone. This is, a, this is a hallmark, is, is, and it's important because it's not our works. It's not the things that we do. It's not the money we give that makes us right with God. It's faith alone. It's believing that God did something on our behalf, and we can trust him for the outcomes. It's faith alone. Another one was sola scriptura. So they said it's not the word of the pope. It's the word of the Bible that is more important. But here's the problem. As, as the, the Roman Catholic Church began to lose power and Protestantism began to gain power, there were some issues with this. Is it became, when it comes to only scripture, really what they mean is it's our interpretation of the scripture. And if you don't believe what we do believe, then you're wrong. And it's just another version of the temple model, right, that, that, that sleeps in. And it's not about our actions towards one another or love one another. It's about our knowledge and how much we know. In fact, Martin Luther said this. He said, a simple amen armed with scripture is greater than the mightiest pope without it, which is a true, true statement. A simple amen armed with scripture is greater than the mightiest pope without the word of God, without knowing what God is saying. The problem, though, is this word armed is really literally what has become for a lot of Protestants. And we use the Bible as a tool to beat people over the head, right? And, and for years, not only did the Roman Catholic, uh, the Roman, whole Roman Catholic Church also do this, so did Protestants. And they begin to say, no, no, you have to believe what we believe. This is our interpretation. This is what you need to, you need to do. So our church, we came from this, this break, right, from Protestants. Protestants, and we would, That's what we'd be considered because we protested against what they were teaching back then. But along the way, the Protestant Reformation, it did the same thing. It, began to, it actually splintered 
into two and then to three and then to a dozen different denominations. Today in the world, in the world there are over 1,000 different Protestant denominations. In the U.S. alone, there's 200 different Protestant, Protestant denominations. Now you start counting up all the other ones. There's, I, I think I read there's like 48,000 different denominations around the world that believe not just Christianity but other stuff too. There's a lot of different religion, right? That's a lot of different temple models out there. And essentially, essentially becomes a group of people who control people by the use of some sacred text, some building. And, and Jesus, the whole point Jesus was making is I want to get away from that because it's not about that because whoever controls the information controls everything else. And he's saying that's not what it's about. And, and when we begin to, to split and break and it continues to happen even today, it's not because one church is more loving than another church. It's because one church interprets the scriptures different than another church. And they say, hey, you got it wrong here. And they focus on one thing. They say, yeah, you're not really focused on that thing. That's not the most important thing. We're going to do our own thing. And they break away, and it splinters, and it moves on. And what we should be known for, we're not. In fact, a lot of times, we are known, Christians are known for what we're against, but are not always known what we are for. That's the problem with the protest, right? If you go out and hold a sign, usually it's, I'm against this, right? And everybody knows, well, they're against this. They don't want that to happen. But they don't always know what you're for. And when they don't know what you're for, then they're only going to assume that, well, you're just the enemy because you're against everything. Or in reality, we are for something. So if, as a church, if, if we're more known for what we're against than what we're for, we're just another religious system. We're just another part of the temple model. And we're missing the point of what God is doing. So as the, as the, early, as, as the church became a state-sanctioned religion, right, it became the, the main one. And then as, as pro, the reformers begin to happen and, and Christians begin to get, kill Christians over the different differences of interpretation, over the difference of what they believed. And they begin to kill. I can imagine like in heaven, like the early church, like, what are you guys doing? Like we were killed by the, the people that didn't, didn't, didn't want us to like share Jesus. You guys believe in Jesus and you're killing each other because you believe different aspects of it. What is going on here? I can imagine the conversation in heaven. I mean, imagine, imagine Jesus talking to the father, right? He's like, he, he's like, dad. I don't know what's going on down there. I told him very clearly. It's found right in John 13. He says, you know, a new command I give you, right? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. I told him so clearly. Like, it's, it's there. John recorded it for them, so they don't, they don't lose it. By this, so we must love. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If, if you what? If you know more than everybody else, right? If you vote the right way. No. If you love one another. Everyone will know you're a Jesus follower by your love for one another. And Jesus said, here's my new command. So the 613, they'd be like, whoa, whoa, so this is like 614 command from the Old Testament? No, no. This trumps all of them. This is like the one command. If you'll just love one another, man, you'll fulfill it. You'll get the rest. You'll get the point of all the others. Just love one another. And he simplified it down to one thing, just loving one another. It's harder to do. You know, following the commands, at least you know, like, okay, don't do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. This one's kind of like, all right, how do I love one another? How do I love in this moment? Like, what is love requiring of me in this moment? Because I really want to punch the guy in the face, right? How do I, what do I do here? How do I respond? And he says, love one another. And I can imagine, like, Paul chiming in on the conversation, like, yeah, Jesus, I, 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 your disciples did a good job telling us that. I, I even wrote it down for them. Like, I sent a letter to the church in Galatia, and I told them this. In Galatians 5, he says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through what? Knowledge, right? Theology. 
How much memor- verses you memorize? No. The only thing, and Paul knew all of the Old Testament. He would have memorized it. He would have understood the rules. He had understood everything about it. And he says, guys, the only thing, that's a big statement from Paul. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. If you know a lot, but you don't love people, you're missing the whole point. If, you're, if you know a lot, but you're a jerk, you're missing the whole point. If you know a lot, but you control others, you're missing the whole point. And Paul would have said, the only thing, if the only thing that counts is make sure you love other people. And I can imagine Peter saying, yeah, I wrote it down too. <laughs> I wrote a letter to the church, and here's what I told them. Have sincere love for each other. Have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. And they kept trying to point to what Jesus' command was, to love each other. That that's how we're going to be known, by our love for one another. Wouldn't it be great And when somebody says, hey, um, do you like the church? They would think, man, those people are pretty awesome because they love one another. Typically it's not. It's like, man, that, that place, they just want more money and they want to do you know, whatever, more control. They, they teach these things that are crazy. They don't understand that we're not, and we're not known for our love, our deep love from the heart for one another. We're known by what we have done in the past and what we tend to, to, to use to beat people over the head. People that don't believe what we believe and they still try to use it, right? They miss the point of that. And the whole time Paul's saying, don't you know that your bodies are temples? Your bodies are temples. It's not a place. You are the temple of God. You are this. But here, here, here's the problem. When we think of the, the temple model and we think of the Old, the old Testament, even, even different religions around the world, right? Sacred texts, sacred people, men. Sacred places, right? Sincere followers. We all have a little bit of in us. It's called religion. Religiosity. It's, it's, it's where we, um, there's a little bit of temple model in each one of us, right? Maybe, maybe when you think of temple model, right? Um, you'd ask maybe people that have the temple model of religion thinking, they think of, well, how, where's the line between sin and, and where does that line lie? Like, how close can I get to the line where it's not sin yet? Like, how much can I do before how much can I drink before? How much can I hurt somebody before it becomes that? Where's the line? But here's, that's a flawed approach because what you're saying is, how far away from God can I get before I'm so far away that I'm no longer in his reach? And it's a flawed thinking because we assume something that there is these, there's this way of, 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 if you'll just do these certain things over and over and over, you're going to be good. It's a temple model. Or just says, you want to be good, it starts the relationship with me. And then you live it out, and you, and you, and you begin to, to act it out. Maybe if you've ever failed morally, right? Maybe you had an affair. Or maybe you're in an affair now. You'd be more concerned, if, you, if you're a religious person, you'd be more concerned with what God would do to you because of your sin. And whatever that looks like, whatever that morality looks like in your life, you'd be more concerned what God would do to you than the fact that you, how you're hurting people around you. It doesn't enter. Religion, when we think of sin and those things, Hurting others doesn't enter into our mind because we're only concerned about who? Me. How does this affect me? What is God going to do to me? And so if you, if you um, can say a prayer, if you can do something that's going to make you right with God, but you don't have to, there's no responsibility in making things right with somebody else, that's religion. And you're missing the whole point of the scripture where God says, it's not about those things. It's about relationship with God. It's about relationship with one another. If, if you... Um, Another way you, you know if there's a little bit of temple model in you is if, if somebody uh, messes up, maybe they sin or there's a failure, and it makes you feel superior, like, man, I'm glad I'm not like them, rather than compassionate and sad for them, you have a little bit of temple model in you, and you're religious. You just told a story. He said two guys go to the temple to, to pray and to worship, and one guy goes in, 
He looks around, and he sees this guy who's heads down. He's crying, and he says, man, God, thank you. I'm not like that scum. That guy, is, he's, man, he's so far from you. He's so bad. And, and this guy's the religious, this Pharisee's prayer is, I'm so glad that I am so holy and I know so much that I'm not like this other guy. And Jesus says, the guy that can't even look up, he's just bent over. He's beating his breast saying, God, please forgive me. I'm such a sinner. God, please forgive me. I'm such a sinner. He was only focused on what, he was, what was wrong with him. Jesus says, who do you think went justified that day? Who went home justified? He said, it wasn't a religious person. It was the honest person who was saying, God, I messed up and I need your help. In our life, if we're not careful, religion, it, it seeps into our lives and we get a mix of Jesus and this other stuff. And if we're not careful, we begin to try to jump through all these hoops and try to perform to make God love us. And he says, you cannot do anything that's going to make God love you more than he already does right now. He gave his life for you. He loved you so much he gave his life for you. So for us as Jesus followers, we must be known for the way we live, not just for what we know. If you're known more for how much you know than how much you love, you're a religious person. And you're missing the point of the gospel and why Jesus died on the cross. It's not about knowing more. We said this last week, right? Knowing more only makes you haughty, right? But loving God and, 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 and loving others, it makes you holy. It makes you separate. It makes you different than the rest. And Jesus says, be known for the way you live, for your love for one another. Because the whole law, it hangs on these two things, loving God and loving others. And the way you demonstrate your love for God is by your love for others. So if you're here today, maybe you're not a Jesus follower. Or maybe you're thinking like, well, what is the church really about then? It's, so it's a group of people. I kind of get that. And it's not a building. But what exactly is God asking us? Very simple. Here's the application that, that Jesus gives us. He says, if you don't know what, what to do, love God, love one another. And that includes loving your enemies. Love God, love one another. And that's going to include those who don't even like you. So for us, my, my hope and my heart for us as a church is that we become these kind of people that say, you know what? This is the most important thing. It's not a building. It's a group of people. This is why you push small groups so much, because we understand when you're in a group of people in the community, you can talk and encourage and pray and learn from, you grow. And when you're doing that, guess who's in the middle of that whole time? God. He's there. Wherever it's at, in a coffee shop, in, in a house, wherever it is, God is in the middle of that. So here's my challenge for us, all right? Would you love others? No, seriously. Would you really begin to love others? This includes those who drive crazy that make you mad on the street. This includes coworkers, uh, employees, employers, right? Your, whoever it is, spouses, kids. And would you love others the way you love yourself? Would you love others? And start today. Live intentionally. Allow, allow Jesus to lead you in this, right? That you would say, God, I don't know how to do this, but I need your help. Would you help me to do this? Because when we do this, that's how people recognize that we're really Jesus followers. And when we don't, it just shows that we're, we're living out of something that's different than what, what Jesus was wanting to create. And religion is so tempting because it's something we can control, but relationships are messy. And it's sometimes really hard and difficult to love people when they, when they mess up, when they hurt us, when they say stuff and do stuff. But God says, go to the messes. Love people who are nothing like you. Love those who don't even want you alive. Care for them. And we see throughout history over and over these different Jesus followers who gave their lives willingly because they said, I want to follow the example of Christ. I want to be known for my love for one another, not just how much I know. And if we're not careful, we'll only repeat what others have done in the past by using the Bible to, as a weapon and using religion and church as, as, as a way to get people to change their behavior. And that's not the point. It's us saying, how can we love others? Allow God to use our life to love others. 
Do me a favor. Would you close your eyes and bow your head today as we end our service? If you're here today in the room or you're watching online and, you know, as I talked about this, maybe it's very obvious at this moment that you are more concerned with how much you know than actually how much you actually live out. And today, my prayer is this will be a turning point that you begin to realize, okay, it's not how much I know, it's how much I love. It's not about information, it's about action. It's about doing something with what I already know, with what I believe. And if you're in this room and you'd be brave enough to say, you know what? Man, I, I'm a pretty religious person because I'm so focused on all the do's and don'ts and I'm so focused on the rituals and I'm focused on the place and I forget about the day-to-day encounters with others. But today you would like to say, God, forgive me of thinking that way. God, give me a new start. Help me to follow your example of serving others and loving others. If you're in the room and you'd like to pray with me, would you do me a favor just lift your hand right there where you're at and I'd love to lead you in a prayer. Anybody else? I need your help. Good. If you're watching online and you want to pray with us, I'd love to lead you in prayer also. You can pray with us in a second. So for you that raise your hand, would you pray this prayer with me? And if you're just following this room, would you pray with us so that those that raise their hand aren't praying alone? Just say this today. Say, Father God, thank you so much for sending Jesus to give us a new way of living. Thank you for sending him to die on that cross to make a way for us back to you. I believe he is Lord. I believe he rose from the grave. Because of that, I can put my trust in you. Would you come into my life? Give me a new start. Forgive me for my sins, my religious attitude, for missing the point. Help me love others the way you did. Help me to serve others the way you did. Use my life to demonstrate your love to those around me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate those who prayed that prayer online and in the house. So good.